0: great, so please uh, keep that passage open. Uh, But as we start, let me ask you uh, what is or what can be both a very vague question and also, at times, a very piercing question. Uh, Where are your hearts? What is it that demands your attention and your affections this evening? I imagine we all come this evening with divided hearts, all sorts of things trying to claim the throne room of our hearts. Where is your heart? In our passage this evening, Paul is concerned with the heart of his readers. He's concerned with the hearts of the Corinthians. You see, it seems in Corinth there were some who would not commit to Paul and his ministry. They restricted their affections for him and for his message. And as we come to our passage tonight, we come to sort of the hinge of the letter. So as a door swings on its hinge, so 2 Corinthians seems to swing on chapter 7. In one way, we draw to a close uh, this big section where Paul first defends his actions in chapter one, verse twelve to chapter two, verse thirteen, and then Paul defends his ministry. From chapter two, fourteen all the way pretty much to seven, verse four. Paul has been defending his actions and his ministry so that the Corinthians would not move on from the message he preached. So they would have wholehearted devotion towards him because sticking with Paul meant sticking with Paul's message and sticking with Paul's message meant sticking with Jesus so in our passage today at the close of this big section where Paul defends and commends his ministry and so defends and commends the true Christian gospel Paul now passionately appeals in verse 2 make room for us In your hearts. And this passage is is a hinge, so it not only brings to a close this long section where Paul defends his ministry, but it also lays a foundation for the rest of the book. Paul rejoices, and in uh, verse sixteen he says he has complete confidence in the Corinthians. Their positive response to Paul has assured him and filled him with joy and has laid the foundation for his desire to visit them again, to be reconciled to them face to face, and finally to address some lingering issues, which the church uh, needs to still make progress in. So Paul, confident that they will do so, appeals to the Corinthians. Verse 2 make room for us in your hearts. Paul desires wholehearted devotion to him and to his ministry. He desires that people would, in their hearts, would be devoted to the true gospel and so love and encourage others. And that brings us to our first point, which is true Christian ministry lovingly appeals to, for wholehearted devotion. And that's verses two to four. True Christian ministry lovingly appeals for wholehearted devotion. We see here Paul personally and passionately appealing to the Corinthians make room in their hearts for him. Paul longs for them to give their hearts fully over to Paul and his message. He longs for them to give Their hearts to real, genuine, bona fide apostolic ministry. He longs for their hearts. He longs for their loyalty. He longs for their affections, because devotion to Paul meant devotion to the gospel, and and devotion to the gospel meant devotion to Jesus. It's as if their hearts are full of clutter that Paul is struggling to fight for a spot in their hearts in order to have a claim on their affections. So he calls them, make room. Make space. Move stuff over. Chuck stuff out. Make room for me and the gospel. He's already, in in chapter 6, verse 11 to 13, called them to widen their hearts, to stop restricting their affections towards him. And now he calls them, he appeals to them, make room. Paul goes on to defend himself, perhaps towards real allegations against himself. We've wronged no one, he says. We've corrupted no one. We've exploited no one. He's shown himself. He's fit for their affections, fit for their love. He's not condemning them. No, no, he's not condemning them. He's just calling them to love him, as he loves them. Do you see that in verse three? Paul longs for a place in their hearts. Uh, Paul longs for a place in their hearts, as they have in his. In fact, Paul's love for them is so huge, he's willing to live or die with them. This is powerful stuff. Paul loves them with a love that's willing to go to the grave for them. And I wonder whether we love like that as we go about our daily lives, as we belong to this church. Do we love one another like Paul loves the Corinthians? Are we willing to die for one another, to go to the grave for one another? Are we willing to lay our lives down to serve one another? And of course, true Christian ministry will lovingly appeal for people to have loyalty to the gospel to be devoted to live for Jesus I ask do we love our brothers and sisters and now I ask do we love them enough that if they are wavering from the truth of the gospel that if they are influenced and are drifting from the faith drifting from the gospel, drifting from Jesus, do we love them enough to lovingly appeal and call them back to devotion to Jesus? Because true Christian ministry lovingly appeals for wholehearted devotion. Do we love our brothers and sisters like that? Because Paul has great love for this church We saw that in verse 3. And love has a funny way of being able to look over people's faults and see the good in people. My mum proves that. She often says, what a lovely young lad I used to be, obviously forgetting the five years of trouble and stress I caused her while at school. But no, you used to be a lovely young lad, she says. Love seems to be able to look over faults and focus on the good. And Paul seems to be doing that in verse 4. We, we know that Paul knows that the Corinthians are far from perfect. And yet listen to the way he talks of them. He takes great pride in them. He's greatly encouraged. He's overflown with joy. His joy knows no bounds. Paul is now going to unpack verse 4. In verses 5 to 16, we will see he takes great pride in the Corinthians. He really does. And he sometimes has to speak to them with frankness. And he is greatly encouraged or he's greatly comforted by them. Which brings us to the second point. True Christian ministry is comforted by God's people doing well. Verses 5 to 7. True Christian ministry is comforted by God's people doing well. Because Paul can talk of them as he does in verse 4 because of verses 5 to 7. You see, when Paul was in Macedonia, he was afflicted. But God comforted him through the coming of Titus and through his report of how well the Corinthians were doing in response to an earlier rebuke letter that Paul had to write. And Paul is comforted by the report. They are doing well. In chapter 2, way back, Paul tells us how he was planning on meeting Titus in Troas, uh, where Paul was to hear from him, how the church had responded to the letter. Uh, But when he got there, Titus couldn't be found. That made Paul quite stressed. He was not at rest, and so he moved on to Macedonia. And according to our passage in verse 5, Macedonia was not much better. There, Paul had no rest, but instead was harassed at every turn. Externally, Paul was persecuted, harassed, Pressure was piling in, and internally there were fears and anxieties, probably to do with the worry of no Titus, certainly because he didn't know how the church had responded to his letter. But, verse 6 but God, God who comforts the downcast, God who in chapter 1 was described as the father of compassion and And the God of all comfort. Verse 6 But God comforted Paul. And he did so through the coming of Titus. Paul was anxious as to how the Corinthians would respond to the letter and to Titus, and he's relieved and encouraged. He is comforted by the news that they had received Titus and the letter well. In fact, Titus' report is excellent. It's overwhelmingly positive. He told Paul about how the church longed for him. They missed him. They longed to see him again. There was, there was deep sorrow and grief at how they had failed Paul in the past. And they had real concern for Paul. They showed genuine loyalty for Paul, a longing for reconciliation and restoration in their relationship with him. So no wonder Paul, at the end of verse 7, could say that his joy was greater than ever. His joy knew no bounds. Paul was comforted, encouraged, strengthened by how well God's people were doing. And that is the right response. True Christian ministry is comforted. It is encouraged by God's people doing well, standing firm and showing loyalty and devotion to the gospel. So it's worth asking Are we comforted, encouraged, strengthened when we see God's people doing well? Do we even care, or do we only care when they're having an absolute mayor? When we meet together, are we concerned for those we're sitting amongst? Do we long to hear how they lived for King Jesus this week? Or are we just thinking about the coffee at the end and get home to watch Netflix? Where are our hearts this evening? Are we too distracted to see all that the Lord is doing in the lives of others? Do we care? Well, Paul shows us that true uh, Christian ministry lovingly appeals for wholehearted devotion. He shows us that true Christian ministry is comforted by God's people doing well. And he shows us that true Christian ministry speaks with frankness to bring repentance, which is our third point. True Christian ministry speaks with frankness to bring repentance. Now, Paul was full of joy. At the response to his letter. But one of those responses that the Corinthians made may have surprised you. Paul was full of joy. In fact, his joy was better than ever because the people he loved responded, verse 7, in deep sorrow. That's astonishing, right? That, that doesn't sound right, but, but that is exactly what Paul unpacks in verses 8 to 13. Remember verse 4, Paul talks of how he has spoken with frankness towards the Corinthians. And when he does so, he's thinking of this rebuke letter he's had to write in the past. He says he doesn't regret, verse 8, sending the letter. Though part of him does regret it, I mean, it hurt them. It caused them pain. But then he doesn't regret it because verse 9, he's happy He's happy not because they were sorry, but because their sorrow led to repentance. In fact, Paul knows in verse 9 that uh, this sorrow was a God-intended sorrow to the point where it was for their good, it was for their help, and not for their harm. Now you may be thinking, has Paul used the wrong word here? Is there like a special word in Greek that was translated wrong because sorrow in my life is never good. Sorrow can't be good because sorrow is painful. Sorrow is bad. But Paul will explain that actually not all sorrow is bad. Turns out some sorrow can be very, very good. And there are two types of sorrow, according to Paul. There's godly sorrow and there's worldly sorrow. Godly sorrow brings repentance and leads to salvation and it leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow, well, that just brings death. Now, Paul uh, is not talking about general sorrow here. So he's not talking about distress at life's uh, tragedies. But he's talking about a sorrow for sin, a sorrow for wrongdoing, a sorrow for rejecting God and his word. And it's true, isn't it? Everyone gets a bit upset when they get caught out. When they get told off or they're confronted, everyone starts to feel a bit bad, a a bit guilty. Everyone starts to feel sorrow. But it is godly sorrow that leads to salvation and worldly sorrow that leads to death. So hopefully you're thinking, well, how do I know which sorrow I'm feeling? You know, if I realize my sin and my rebellion against God and and I feel sad about it, I feel sorrow for it, how do I know if it's the sorrow that leads to salvation and not the sorrow that leads to death? And it's simple, but not always easy. Godly sorrow brings repentance. It brings action in response to the sorrow for, this, uh, for sin. It's not enough to feel sad for sin. To feel the guilt of it. To feel the pain of it even. Godly sorrow will always and can only ever lead to repentance. No repentance from sin? Well, it doesn't matter how sincere you may have felt bad about it. It will only lead you away from God that sorrow won't help you it leads to death because godly sorrow brings repentance it ultimately leads to a life devoted to Jesus okay well if godly sorrow brings repentance I think I've repented but but what does that repentance look like we'll look down at verse 11 because Paul says, See, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. Look at the, the fruit of your repentance and earnestness and an eagerness to clear themselves. Indignation, alarm, longing, concern, and, and readiness to see justice done. You see, they're eager to clear themselves, to make up in any way possible. There's indignation towards their failings there's alarm they, they fear god's wrath and judgment they, they know they need to turn and they need to turn fast there's longing longing to be reconciled with god there's concern for godliness and for truth and there's readiness to see justice done there's action. The church knew that they needed correction. They knew uh, what they needed to do. They know that they needed church discipline. And it was hard, but in chapter 2, verse 6, we find out that they did it. They acted. And that is genuine repentance. In fact, Paul can even call them innocent and blameless in the matter because of how they've responded in this true repentance Well, Paul finishes off telling the Corinthians in verse 12 that he wrote the letter not for the injured party or the one who did the wrong. No, the letter was written that they could see for themselves how devoted to Paul that they were. And the letter achieved its purpose. It showed their loyalty to him and their loyalty to Jesus. And by this, verse 13, Paul was greatly encouraged. He was encouraged by their loyalty to him and the faith proven through their obedience in this matter. They felt godly sorrow, which brought repentance and ultimately led to salvation. And so, if Paul is over the moon about this response, then doesn't it tell us about how we should respond to loving rebuke and correction? Like, it will be hard to hear. You'll want to justify yourself It will be painful. It will even cause you sorrow. But Paul would encourage us, make sure it's godly sorrow. Make sure there's repentance. Make sure you listen. Make sure you mourn over your sin and you take action. Because that is the nature of godly sorrow. But that's not all. Because in this, Paul models, there is a time to speak with frankness. Sin is serious. So there is a time to speak with boldness and severity. If we see people wandering from the faith, doing things that they shouldn't, if you see people looking like they might make a shipwreck of their faith, then the loving thing to do, and I mean the loving thing, is to rebuke them, to call them back to God and his word, always in love, for their help and not for their harm, with the desire to see godly sorrow, with the desire to see repentance. But make sure you speak. Make sure you challenge. Make sure you correct and you rebuke because that's what true Christian ministry does. It lovingly calls people back to God's word. True Christian ministry speaks with frankness to bring repentance. And finally, true Christian ministry takes great pride in God's people. Verses 13b to 16. True Christian ministry takes great pride in God's people. Paul has been greatly encouraged and rejoices in the way that the Corinthians have received and responded to the severe letter that he wrote. And in verse 13 he writes, in addition to his own encouragement, he was especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit was refreshed by all of you. It seems the church have received Titus really well. They've loved him. They've shown him hospitality. They brought him in for for lunch. They received him, in verse 15, in obedience, with fear and trembling. They respected him. They loved him. And Titus was refreshed. His love for the church grew and grew. And look at verse 14. This is exactly what Paul had boasted in. He took such pride in God's people. He knew they would not let him down. Paul could have looked a right idiot, okay, but instead he was proved right because they did exactly as Paul said they would. Paul even goes on to say he can have complete confidence in them. Paul takes great pride and they didn't let him down. No, instead they proved In their obedience, in the way they welcomed Titus, they proved again and again their loyalty to Paul. And so Paul is reassured and full of joy. So the questions are, do we take pride in God's people? Do we rejoice in the work the Lord is doing in our brothers and sisters? Do we rejoice when they stand firm for the gospel? when they tell people about Jesus at work, even though there's so much pressure not to, when we see Christian parents raising their kids in the instruction of the Lord, do we take pride in them? Do we take pride in God's people living the gospel out? Do we thank God for them and ask him to continue to grow them? Do we take pride in God's people? Well, uh, to wrap it all up, Paul uh, started the passage appealing that the church would make room for him in their hearts, that they would show loyalty and devotion to him and the gospel and to Jesus. He desired faith, wholehearted devotion, and he ends the passage glad, full of joy, with complete confidence in them because they've already shown Such loyalty, such commitment, such obedience and love for Paul and Titus. You see, true ministry, true Christian ministry appeals for wholehearted devotion. It is comforted by God's people doing well. It speaks sometimes with frankness to bring repentance. And it takes great pride in God's people. So as I close, let me ask once more, where are your hearts? Paul desired wholehearted devotion to Jesus and his gospel that leads us to love and encourage one another. And he's modeled to us what that looks like. Let's pray that as God's people, we would be men and women who give our hearts fully to love, uh, give our hearts fully to Jesus, to love and to serve him, and so love and serve God and encourage one another. Amen.